In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Independence. Out of everything our culture values today, there seems to be no higher virtue than autonomy. To be completely free from reliance upon another. Of course, this can be a positive thing. While an infant is totally dependent for all his physical needs on his parents, we don't want him to stay that way. As our children learn and grow, we teach them how to wash their own hands and to brush their own teeth. We want them to learn to dress and feed themselves and to pick up their toys without being prompted. It's good and right for them to learn how to do these things independently. Self-service can be worthwhile. If you get stranded by the side of the road with a flat tire and you have the skills and the tools to fix it, you can probably get yourself back on the road. But it's not always helpful, it seems. Other times, it seems that self-service can be a way for companies to cut costs. If the stores can save a few bucks by having you bag your own groceries... Perhaps they can save even more by letting you scan your stuff, too. And all too often, it seems there's even more self-checkout lanes than cashiers waiting to serve you. So do it yourself. It's faster and easier. Companies find it cheaper, and some people even find it preferable. It might even be part of the way our culture turns away from any human interaction. Why bother with dealing with a human with real emotions and a real life when I can just get what I need from a machine? Or why depend on someone else who might do it wrong when I could just do it myself? Why should I bother to teach someone else how to help me when it's just faster and easier To do it myself. Self-reliance and self-sufficiency are the rule of the day. This teaching, this catechesis, is around us every day. So it shouldn't surprise us that we're tempted to view religion or spiritual things in the same way. No need for you to go to church. No need for other people to be involved with your spiritual life. Just do it yourself. Help yourself. Now, self-service may be good in certain areas of life, but not in every case. When it comes to spiritual matters and things of the church, self-service stands in total opposition to what God wants to give. Because I, if, if I am serving myself, it's not God who serves me. After all, it's what our first parents tried in the garden, and it didn't turn out so well for them. From the beginning, God had instituted the design for his creation. Adam was to be the pastor of his family. He was supposed to be the head of his home. He was to preach God's word to his wife and children. And by that preaching, they would remain faithful to God's word. It was Adam's responsibility to teach them that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
It was Adam's duty to train up his family in the faith. That they are to hear and believe God's word and rejoice in his gifts as they received what he gave. But for our first parents, it was their own self-service that condemned them. By his word, God had blessed them with every tree that was good for food. All their physical needs were met, and they lacked for nothing. But they wanted more. There was one tree that God hadn't given them, and they wanted it. They coveted it. They desired to taste its beautiful fruit. Adam had heard God command them not to eat the fruit. But rather than recognize the goodness of God's word, they wanted the one thing that God's word said would harm them. Though they had a garden full of nourishing and fulfilling food, they wanted to eat the fruit of that one tree, the only tree whose fruit would be poison to them. They desired to experience death. And so together they rejected God's word and they communed on the poison fruit. Now they were sinners turned in on themselves. And the curse of Adam now flows to every descendant of Adam. And everyone is born with the curse of that fruit. This curse has also turned us in upon ourselves. And we have become even more self-serving than our ancient parents. It's how we feed our sin. As it is for us in physical matters, it is in spiritual. We want to be independent and self-sufficient, to stand on our own two feet and not need anyone else. Some use this argument to say they can find God on their own. They know what they need and they can get it themselves. All that matters is me and Jesus, they say. Self-service finds its way into our spiritual lives in a thousand different ways. Whether it's by desiring what we cannot have, things the Bible calls lust and coveting, or by simply ignoring the needs of others, we serve ourselves. And we can think of the ways the culture tries to get us to buy its lies, too. It teaches us to seek independence from God's institutions. It teaches that if you want to have sex outside of marriage, then you should serve yourself and take the pleasure that you really deserve anyway. If you find a child in the womb to stand in the way of your idea of happiness, then serve yourself and take away that child's life. If looking at pictures online gives you the kind of pleasure that God has reserved for marriage, then serve yourself. And the world tells you that if you think you can find a salvation outside of the church, then go for it. But spiritual self-service can also be sneaky sometimes, too. Sometimes it's even found in a desire for us to be good. Perhaps, like me, at times you fall, into the, you fall into the temptation that you can fight sin on your own. 
But no matter what flavor of spiritual self-service you fall into, spiritual self-service is the opposite of faith in Christ. For as we grow in the Christian faith, we do not become less and less dependent on Christ, but more. To grow in faith means to grow in dependence on God and that we know our need more and more. You are dependent upon God for everything. If he stopped sustaining your physical life, you would die. Independence from God is not freedom. Independence from God means death. He is the source of our life, both physically and spiritually. And to be separated from him is to die. So from the beginning, God arranged for the care of his church to give his people exactly what they need, to give them Christ, to care for them with his word and his gifts. Because God loves you and he doesn't want to leave you to fend for yourself against your own sin. It's why he sent Jesus to redeem his church, which St. Paul says he obtained with his own blood. And it's for this reason that St. Paul says that God made him an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. God has given pastors for the benefit of his church. For whenever God talks about pastors, it's not really about the pastors. It's about Jesus caring for the church that he obtained with his own blood It's about Jesus creating and sustaining faith and bringing his people to the knowledge of the truth. So Jesus gives pastors to his church. And the pastors he has sent out give Christ and his word to God's people. It's all about Christ. And this is what our Lutheran confessions say too. In order that we may obtain this faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted through the word and sacraments as through instruments. The Holy Spirit is given. He works faith when and where it pleases God in those who hear the good news that God justifies those who believe that they are received into grace for Christ's sake. This happens not through our own merits, but for Christ's sake. The pastor's job is to deliver Christ. Every pastor's job is to teach God's people to observe all things that our Lord has commanded. So we give thanks to God for such good men who preach the truth and serve as faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. Because a pastor is good for nothing except what the Lord has put him there to do to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments. And today we remember one of the early one of the earliest pastors of our Lord's church, Titus. Pastor Titus was a close associate of the apostle Paul. And although a lot more could be said about him, consider that in our gospel today, we hear about the 72 who are sent out by Christ. 
And St. Paul addresses the Ephesian pastors in the first reading from Acts. But we don't know any of their names. And though I imagine it would be interesting to find out more about these men whom Jesus called, who they are really isn't that important. What was important is that they were sent out by Jesus. What was important was that they were sent to preach, the kingdom of God has come near to you. If it ever becomes about who the pastor is in himself, then the focus is wrong. It's sadly not unusual today for a congregation to be centered around a particular person. A cult of personality, we might call it. But the office of pastor is never about the man in the office himself, but about the one who has sent and authorized that man. That's why the important part about those whom Jesus sends isn't who they are, but that Jesus has sent them. As St. Paul preaches to these Ephesian pastors, he exhorts them to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock, to care for the church of God in which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. And in the reading from Paul's letter to Titus, Paul tells him to appoint elders, which is a biblical word for pastors, in every town on the island of Crete, to give the people instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Because our sinful tendency is to think that we should serve ourselves. It's how the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And Satan and his wolves are still out there. It's why Paul warned the Ephesian pastors, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And Jesus knew this truth as well, saying that he sent the 72 out into the midst of wolves. Satan, the great wolf, seeks to destroy Christians. He and the little wolves who follow him want you to believe that you can serve yourself, that you can save yourself. He attacks with lies and false doctrine, seeking to drag you away from Jesus. He works to convince you that God's word doesn't matter, or that God is only interested in giving you rules and restricting your freedom. He'll teach you to serve yourself, to take for yourself what God hasn't given. And then when you do serve yourself with the things God hasn't given, When you take and do the things that God says will hurt you, then that devil of a wolf is right there again. Only now he'll try to get you to believe you've been too big of a sinner. You're too far gone for God to love you. Just look at yourself. All those horrible thoughts you have, your lustful and evil desires, the hurtful words you say, and all the bad things you do and the good you're too lazy to do, Or if that doesn't work, he'll try other ways to get you to rely on self-service. Going to church is inconvenient, he'll say. The people at church will just look down on you. Or the people there are hypocrites. 
and you don't want to be part of them. Maybe he'll tell you that because there are so many different churches, it's impossible to know what is true. Or it doesn't matter what you believe, so long as you love others and believe sincerely. But what lies at the bottom of every one of these temptations and lies is the notion of self-service, that you can get whatever you need spiritually by your own service. And so the wolf preaches against faith in Christ. He wants you to help yourself, do it yourself, decide for yourself, and to be cut off from Christ. Because the devil knows that when you focus only on yourself and serve yourself, you die. It's what he wants. He wants you dead. He wants you separated from Jesus. But Jesus isn't content to leave you this way. He doesn't leave you to rely on your own self-service and your own sacrifice for your salvation. Jesus came as a servant. And when he came into this world, everything he did was to serve you. It was for you that he was born, for you that he was circumcised and placed under the law at eight days old. For you, he was baptized. And for you, he poured out his blood at the cross. And he died and rose and ascended for you. He came speaking the truth, calling sin, sin. He made it clear that you cannot save yourself. And he did it for you. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near. In Jesus, God has come to serve his people. For Jesus' death upon the cross is the ultimate opposite of self-service. There is Jesus doing all for you, dying your death for your sin, so that by being united with him, you also participate in his resurrection rising again to new life so that you are now cleansed of your sin and live as God's children. And Jesus has given pastors to his church to point you to this truth, to care for the flock which he purchased with his own blood by giving that very blood poured out, to baptize and apply Jesus' death and resurrection to you to absolve and apply his forgiveness and love. For in these, the kingdom of God has come near, not because of your doing, but because of his mercy, because Jesus loves you and he wants you to have assurance. He doesn't leave you in the false confidence of do-it-yourself salvation. Instead, he gives you the confidence that his salvation is indeed for you. For this reason, God has given pastors to his church. And God desires that they do only this, only this and always this, to point you to Jesus and his cross and all that it means for you, that they would preach the truth of God's word to show you your sin And having seen your sin, that you would also see Christ your Savior. That you would listen to Christ, 
and not the self-serving wolf who wants you to be a little wolf, self-serving like him. But that instead you would listen to your self-giving Savior and receive his service to you. His service which gives life, which gives a kingdom that will never end. And yet, knowing this truth, we still live in this world, in this place where it's not always easy to be a Christian, in this place where it is easy to listen to the world's teaching that we should serve ourselves. That's why Jesus came to serve. And that's why he comes to serve you still. It's why he continues to send pastors like Titus to be with his flock, to care for them and love them, that his truth is preached and Jesus is given, that his word and truth live in you. And this truth also remains, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray to Jesus that he would send out more pastors. Pray earnestly for your pastor and for all pastors in Christ. Pray for those studying to be pastors and pray that Jesus would call more men into the holy ministry. That Jesus would continue to give his church pastors to serve his flock. And in your daily lives, too, speak God's truth in love. Tell others that God doesn't leave them to serve themselves, but that he comes here each Sunday to serve them. That wherever the evil wolf might be lurking or attacking, that there is also the love and forgiveness of Christ. For Jesus has also transformed you. He has freed you from a self-serving life to one of serving your neighbor in love. That as you are blessed by Jesus giving himself to you, that those around you would be blessed by your giving. And say no to the idea of spiritual self-service and independence and self-sufficiency. For there is a better way the service of Christ to you. Depend on him and on his way, and you will be blessed with God's own kingdom as he gives you every good thing. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.